Hi, everyone, and welcome to Academic Dean, where we connect with passionate college leaders who share their stories and viewpoints of higher education, especially lessons learned along the way. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dave Gurchak. Hi, everyone. Today, I'd like to welcome Dr. Michael Reed to our show. Dr. Reed is the Vice President for Academic Affairs and Provost at Pennsylvania College of Technology in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Hi, Mike. I'm so happy to have you on the show today. Uh, Dave, it's, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So can you tell me about Penn College and why students select your institution? I'd be happy to, Dave. You know, Penn College, it's a pretty special place. Um, we're a, we're a national leader in applied technologies. Uh, we're a special affiliate of the Penn State University. And, you know, students select us uh, because we are a, a hands-on, uh, we're a hands-on uh, school and our students will leave prepared to advance within their chosen careers uh, while also receiving the full college experience. Uh, we offer over, over 100 programs uh, from master degrees, bachelor of science, associate certificates and credential programs. And all of them are in high demand applied technology fields. You know, when students are looking at Penn College, another part that really attracts them is their graduation placement rate is currently at 98% with starting salaries well above average. Um, our faculty, are, it's a pretty unique makeup. Or we're made up of industry and academic experts, and we take great pride in building the leaders of tomorrow. You know, when, when looking at that, at that personalized approach, our class sizes are kept small uh, and they're taught in labs that mirror the environments that our students will be working in upon graduation. Um, all of our programs work hand in hand with industry and industry leaders. On average, our students spend three hours in an industry-based lab for every hour of lecture to make sure they could apply the skills that are being learned. And, um, you know, maybe to give a better understanding of our structure with those 100 programs, we're organized, our academic affairs is organized under a three-school model. So we have uh, our School of Nursing and Health Sciences, which offers a, a multitude of, of, of nursing and health science-based majors from physician assistant program to a wide range of nursing programs and including a, uh, to help deal with the, the nursing shortage. We just recently got approved to run a master's in nursing to nursing education to help better prepare uh, to meet the, the growing demands. Um, from paramedic, radiography, uh, physical therapy and, and so, surge tech and so on. So we have multiple nursing and health sciences. We also have a school of business arts and sciences. So if you think of applied technologies that are more maybe humanities based, uh, we have a, uh, an outstanding graphic design and advertising arts program. Um, we have a human services and restorative justice, uh, emergency management, uh, emergency management programs, and also some individual uh, um, sciences. And then on the business and, and culinary side, business and hospitality side, we offer a wide range of business degrees um, that are more, more specialized, small group, hands-on working uh, where they could really apply into different areas of concentration and have just a, an incredible uh, culinary-based program too. And then our largest school of the three is our engineering school of engineering technologies. And that uh, the program has, um, uh, it's, it's, it has about um, probably close to 60% of our total student population, the majors, and it's divided into, into five 
um, into five divisions. We have the School of Transportation, which ranges from, of course, wide range of different automotive and also uh, a, a very strong aviation uh, mechanic-based program. We have a Material Science and Engineering Technologies Division, Construction and Architectural Technologies, Diesel Technologies and Natural Resources, and Industrial and Computer Technologies. So we, um, again, a, a really wide range of, of opportunities for students. So if a student is looking to pick up a credential certificate and, and go right into the workforce, we have that for him or her. If a student is looking to advance their, their career to come back for a, for a couple of master degrees or a bachelor degree, we have them available too. And what's also pretty unique is that the college has evolved over the years too to really provide a, a comprehensive full college experience. Uh, we have a, uh, some outside of COVID, some wonderful international travel opportunities uh, within our programs. We have NCAA um, Division Three sports, multiple clubs and activities and on-campus housing. So, you know, we, we really attract such a wide range of students um, from top of the class to students who are, who are working through that maybe traditional education hasn't been the most effective for them, but to really find their niche and passion. And we strongly believe that effort creates ability and with the right, with the right mindset, help support and work ethic that we can put our students in just in, in position, not just to enter, but to advance within their careers. It, you know, it also, it all, I'm sorry, it also kind of helps that we're, we're located in a, in a pretty ideal small city that's just gorgeous with mountains and outdoors range, but also relatively close to multiple metropolitan areas. So I think there's a lot of, a lot of things working for us in that range. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you is it seemed like you have uh, such a diverse uh, uh, slate of uh, programs there. But, mm -hmm. So I was curious about the campus itself. And so I didn't know exactly where it was located. And so that seems like a beautiful place to go to school, too. It, it is. And, you know, if, um, you know, Williamsport, it's in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour from uh, Penn State University main campus. But what Williamsport is besides its uh, rich lumber history is known for the little league world series. So if you're, if you're follow little league or little league world series, that's, that's right in our backyard also. So we have a, an international event also once a year. That's good. So what's new at uh, Penn college for 2021, 2022? Yeah, it's, you know, what's not new, I guess, with a, trying to navigate through a pandemic and, and moving forward. So, you know, what's new is we're, as I said, we, we work, we put a lot of pride in, in working very close with industry and industry experts. And we're always tweaking or modifying our, our curriculum and programs. And um, what's I think is, is a, is a real advantage to is our, our faculty run the curriculum process, of course, with support uh, from, from academic affairs administration, but we can normally make, make changes pretty quickly to curriculum. And this year alone, it's interesting of just was going through our curriculum manual for this year. There's been, there's been 14 new or significantly multi, um, modified programs going into 21, 2022, which is just pretty average for here, but also pretty extensive of just how quickly we can move. Um, we also, so we have new programs that, why don't I go through those first? Is yeah, I'm, have, I'm really kind of interested in what your new, especially since you guys are, everybody's coming out of a pandemic. So it's, I'm sure. interested in what, what's up on the horizon after those. Right. And that's, um, yeah, that, that could take me down a whole other pathway of just the pandemic response. And maybe we could get into that a little bit, but for looking at our programs, uh, one, as I, I mentioned uh, just a little bit earlier, was our nursing education. We have our 
uh, a new master's degree. It's um it's only our uh, our second master's program, nursing education. And it's been we have us uh, our our charters our charter is pretty unique where we're um, our initial charter. Uh, was was for a bachelor degree or or lower, but based on the significant need with the nursing shortage, we did get special approval for the nursing education program. And that that's going to launch this fall. So practicing uh, nurses can work uh, hand in hand with our experts here to obtain their nursing education master degree. And we've also made some um, some significant modifications to our degrees uh, that comes in. One is. Um, within our health science program, a pre-hospital uh, medicine concentration for, um, again, that will, our students who graduate from that program will leave also with their paramedic uh, credentials, but also be in position for um, whether applying for PA school as a master's or so forth. So to, again, to try to build as much off of their experiences as possible. We revamped our entire business administration program uh, into a into a new program. We used to have multiple with single tracks, but um, we made a lot of modifications to our business administration program. Working um, working with um, National Science Federation and our in our welding programs, we we just recent we're launching a radiographic inspection for non destructive testing credential and an ultrasonic inspection for non destructive testing, just based on the needs of significant needs to. In, for, for inspection base on, we look at the infrastructure and the work that needs to be done in infrastructure and the shortage within those fields. Uh, we created a credential on innovation leadership. We know throughout the time and disruption that um, the more that we can provide opportunities to learn the system-based skills to adjust. Uh, we've, we've added some new certificates of an automotive restoration, which, which was a which was a revision of, um, we had a two year program, but the reality is we could do it in one year. And we've, we've been able to, to modify, uh, modify the automotive restoration. And we also modified our two year brewing and fermentation science to a one year program, again, to, to try to better meet the needs of our learners and to maximize their time within the labs coming through. So that's, um, I could go through a few others that we that we combined within our landscape and plant production technology um, and our culinary applications too. You know, I, I think that's very interesting. Uh, I'm going to drop back to the to the paramedic program you mentioned because it sounds like, you know, for a lot of people going to EMS for for instance, they they come out as a paramedic and years down the road they feel they're kind of stuck in that position. So so this is kind of unique to to sure. have a program that kind of builds toward a PA if they want to make that next move. Sure, if they want to go through and apply into a master's program, but to try to to try to advance those skills beyond the beyond the certificate or beyond the uh, the credential of it. Yeah, and 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 um, were there any other programs like that too? Did you mention that that uh, also kind of bridges from one profession to another? We, um, you know, with within those hundred programs, we have multiple. Every one of our every one of our two year programs can can go into a two plus two for a four year. So oftentimes somebody may come in with a technical degree and and want to also earn their bachelor's in like a business base um, program. So we have. Applied management uh, connections, but so every and also within our 
our, all of our majors within the, the nursing and health sciences have an opportunity to advance their two-year to a four-year. And really, we want to we want to try to maximize that full experience for students. Again, it's we want to put our students in the most competitive position as possible. So, so yes, every one of our certificates would connect into an associate. Every one of our associates would be able to bridge into a bachelor's uh, throughout that process. I think that's wonderful. I wish I wish more colleges would do that. That really, boy, is that student-centered. That's really really a good mission. All right. It is. And, you know, you mentioned about the pandemic and the disruptions of the pandemic, and it was, it was fascinating. And I know we'll, we'll probably talk a little bit more about that, but, you know, when we talk about the essential fields and, and what we, what we had to do to pivot and adapt and, you know, while many of our, well, many of us were sent home or to work from home or to stay home, our graduates were out in the field day in and day in and day out, um, night after night within the essential career fields because of like they're you know as as our as our president will commonly say is that um we're, we're kind of recession proof it's the the jobs are always there we're always we're always going to need them so gonna go from there yeah so so uh was there anything uh on the pandemic that kind of got launched out of after now that it's slowing down that you're launching what you learned in for, for the past year you know, that's a, that's a great question. One is um, our graduates, it just shows how high demand that their, our graduates are in. And even coming off the heels of the pandemic, our, our students who are graduating in a couple of weeks, the overwhelming majority have either have secured their job or have multiple offers uh, within their job. You know, we, uh, when we look at like our cyber securities and the, and the needs within the, um, within the IT world and just with the high, High demand manufacturing has really um, the need within within manufacturing has has taken off um, coming in in the course of all the nursing and health science fields and you know we're, we're dealing with a with a workforce that's that's many are burnt out or they just they need to they need some additional help and support within those fields so you know I, I guess at one is it it really helped affirm where we're where we are and and who we're creating and, and how we're helping to, to build the next generations of leaders within those fields. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to change topics here. Uh, and we're going to like for you to talk a little bit about you. So can you talk a little bit about yourself and the path that led you to your current leadership position at Penn college? Now to preface that, I understand that you kind of grew up uh, with 10 siblings in a three-bedroom house in Pittsburgh, and you're also a first-generation college student. So I'm very interested in that. So if you wouldn't mind starting all the way back there, maybe, before oh, you continue your path. Absolutely. Well, well, thanks, Dave, for asking. And it, you know, I guess for first of all, where I'm in, in now is like, just truly love my role. I have the privilege to learn and lead with just extraordinary faculty and staff and work closely with industry leaders. It's what a great place to pull into every day and just look for because I say kind of jokingly is another opportunity for complex problem solving. Our president, Dr. Gilmore and our board are just truly passionate about our mission and our student success and working with these collective ex ex experts, um, we, we get to build and refine and rethink our systems to help place our students in the most competitive position. And, um, you know, it's been an interesting journey to, to be here and, it, and it's not one that I don't think anybody would have scripted or could even think of a script for it. Um, as you mentioned, I did. I grew up with with 
10 siblings and, and two parents, fortunate to have a, a family network. Um, and looking back, my upbringing, my upbringing had a significant effect on my leadership approach. Being one of 10 children in a blue collar family, um, you know, it, it was a necessity for all of us to contribute to make things work. Um, it wasn't always easy. I'm not going to make it more grandiose or glam glamorous of what it was, but it was, um, you know, my father, when he, he, uh, he graduated from high school, he went, went into the military and then uh, was putting uh, telephone poles up for Bell Telephone. And my mother, um, mother was at home raising a, 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 a lot of, a lot of children uh, coming in and, we uh, together, we kind of rebuilt our basement in that kind of like bunks that would be um, be able to stay through. And but it was it was a lot of hard work uh, to be to be lying. It was it, you, you had to figure out how to get along to make things work. There wasn't a lot of I guess even when you think about toys and so there wasn't a lot there. It always had to be a negotiation and get teams together and so that everybody could play. And, you know, um, I know Duckworth has done just extraordinary work on grit, but yeah. you know, I'd, I'd have to say my mother has probably taught taught grit well before it became popular in that setting. Um, you know, it was even I could I have great memories of of growing up in a where it wasn't necessarily easy, but it was but it was supportive, and you know, there's just there was always focus on learning, listening, working, and maximizing opportunities. Um, and, it, and it's when I think about kind of the chaos of growing up in that area. Sometimes I think my mother's full-time job was to try to prevent us from going to the emergency room uh, based on just some unique interactions. But, you know, I, I, I had a good fortune of having um, some teachers and some coaches that just really believed in me and, and my oldest brother uh, just instilled a, a sense of hope and belief in self. And um, it was just some really unique, unique times. And, and that, that upgrading of particularly, I think, um, well, my brother wasn't in education. He just watching his sphere of influence with people and my coaches and my teachers, it, it led me into taking a shot and going to college. And I went to a state state school in Pennsylvania and earned my bachelor of science and became a teacher. Um, to kind of follow in that same footsteps. And almost immediately when I started, I started working on my master's and wanted to get um, a background in counseling too. So I, so I earned my master's in counseling and put me in a position that I could counsel, I could teach a couple classes and also remained active in, in coaching and mentoring within the community. And, um, you know, it was, when I was teaching, in working with students and being within those small clusters, it was it was really rewarding. It was to be able to take a um, either help move a group of students or work through different challenges. And um, but what got me really interested in administration then was uh, had an opportunity to work with an amazing principal. Her name was Marcia McGill, who came in and just really relooked at systems. And she took a, a school that was a little chaotic, um, but she figured out how to get everybody on the same page and working towards the same mission and the same goals. And within a couple years, the opportunities that were starting to open up for students was just truly extraordinary. And just looking at the whole system base. And that's really what encouraged me to, 
watching her, I loved having an impact on stu on direct impact on students or on teams and so forth. But watching her have an impact on such a larger community was just was 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 really um, just opened up an, a, another level of opportunity and had the opportunity to go through Penn State to finish up my principal work and became a principal uh, within within um, within the in central Pennsylvania coming in. And, um, you know, my, my second principal assignment was at SciTech High School. And it was a, it was a pretty interesting, pretty interesting setting. It was students, uh, it was an urban area. Students had to apply to get into the school. And, um, and we also put some requirements of summer learning and staying after school and some tutoring. And, and again, systematically having students, teachers, and administration all working together, we we move mountains for students. We um, we had the um, and we were named the the school of the year from the National Superintendents Foundation across the United States. We uh, our graduates. We started getting students into um, Ivy League schools and some some other top tiered institutions, and it was just. Get, the systems just really opened up some really just amazing opportunities for within the schools. Um, after after I was there for a few years, I had an opportunity to to um, to move to the Williamsport area. My wife uh, met my wife in uh, in the previous district in Harrisburg, and um, her family was from the from the area, and I had an opportunity to to lead the Williamsport High School and. It was interesting because I wanted to see if we could put the same systems in place that were at SciTech in a public, large, comprehensive high school, and and we were able to do it. And we were we managed to to um, to make significant gains within the school. We've made a significant decrease in behavioral incidents. Our SAT skyrocketed. Our placement date, all of our state assessments. We just we really got our systems moving in the right direction. And coincidentally, how I got involved with colleges where I had a lot of students that were ready for college courses when I was working at Williamsport High School. And I started to reach out to Penn College about, you know, here's some unique opportunities, whether I could get students down on campus or perhaps you could teach some courses up at the high school. How do we make this work? Because this could really be a, a, an incredible incentive for students to start working on their degrees while in high school. And we built a, a really nice partnership together. And through that partnership, um, one of the one of the um, administrators from from Penn College is like, hey, we have a we have an assistant dean position that's opening up that may really fit into your to your skill set. And at the time, I was finishing up my doctorate through Drexel. I was working on system based reform in the middle of a research project on on really just the transferability of expertise from one to a student of really looking at how to maximize that experience and. At first, I had very little interest. I didn't want to disrupt my studies. I didn't want to disrupt. But the more I looked at the opportunity and took a deeper dive in, it's like it was it was like a dream job. I got to work with faculty on on instruction. I got to learn from from other experts across the board, and I got to just continually learn and develop my skills while still while still finishing up. I really thought I would be here for a short period, then go be a superintendent or lead a school district, and then it was. It was fascinating though. It's I, I uh, just really fell in love with our mission and what we're doing and the learning and experiences. And coincidentally, it was, I think one of your former colleagues that hired me, Cliff Coppersmith coming in. Yes. And then short, shortly after, uh, 
shortly after Cliff hired me, he decided to move out to Montana. So <laughs> yes, we, we really enjoyed him. Yeah. Uh, he talked highly of that college to say the least. Yep. And so he, um, and then I was, uh, was asked to step into, into Cliff's former role here. And again, it was just a, a, a continual opportunity to grow and develop and work and network. And um, that then led into an opportunity of having oversight of academic operations. And uh, this summer, our, um, our provost, uh, our former provost, um, he's now works for middle states. And uh, just the opportunity was right to to step in and continually try to evolve our mission and work through. So it's been a really unique script from the, the, the kid who grew up with 10 brothers and sisters, wasn't sure where he was going or what he was doing to just really trying to maximize the learning and opportunities within, within various systems. Well, you know, I, I, I think, I, I, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think that uh, you growing up with all those siblings gave you grit. Uh, yeah. since you mentioned Duckworth and, sure. and, and what's interesting is I haven't thought about her for a while. I actually bought a lot of those books when I was Dean and I used to hand them out to all the veterans and I'd meet with them for 10 minutes explaining wow. what they went through is grit. So here comes sure. college. You can do this. And so sure. it's funny on how previous experience can help you prepare for future endeavors. So sure. And it, I, I would agree. It was, it was that grit factor of just, just don't quit, keep pushing yeah. and, and, and take another step and try it one more and, and keep moving forward. And, and I think too, it was, it was empathy. I think, I think there was a high level too of, of empathy that was, that was evolved because it's, you know, they, my parents did a great job of trying to get me exposed to as much as possible, whether through the community, whether through, through different jobs or so forth, but just to really meet. And then that, and sometimes I'd be with people who, who had it way worse off than I did to help and support and others that had just so many different unique opportunities that I could learn and evolve from. And it was, it was really just taking ownership of taking ownership of the opportunity that's there. Yeah. Well, since you've had so many different academic leadership roles from, you know, high school, principal to provost. What's been some of the biggest lessons you have learned so far as an academic leader, looking at all yeah. those different positions? Yeah, it's, thanks. It's, um, I think it's a great question and one to, one to reflect on. It's, and I've also, particularly in the, in the previous role in, in K-12 being involved in, in a various school, I had an opportunity to mentor a fair amount of, of other principals coming through. And, and even now I have the opportunity to, to mentor some new deans and assistant deans coming through. And I, you know, I, when I think about reflections and lessons learned from it, there's a, a few key, key topics that come in. And, you know, I think first and foremost is it's, it's the leader's responsibility to truly learn the strengths of his or her team. Always look within your respective team, take the time take the time to really get a deep understanding of, of who, who is, who is within your, um, within your area to find out what their strengths and areas know. Cause so, so oftentimes what I found in every situation is there's so many hidden gems of so many opportunities that's for whatever reason, just get overlooked and to take the time to do a deep analysis is, I think is really important, particularly for a new leader coming in. 
ties right in is, but ask a lot of questions. Use that honeymoon period for as long as possible. Ask a lot of questions. Learn to truly listen, like deeply listen. Try to suspend those voices of that's impossible or that's like, just try to try to suspend that suspend that the judgment or the cynicism or fear and just to really listen to what people are saying because you you owe it to the organization the the team members that are there if if you're walking in new they all have more experience they all have some critical they all have just um critical experience to help lead the way and to, to take the time and to, and to honor the culture of the organization is really important um i think it's i think it's a it's, it's almost essential, but I would highly recommend it is to find a mentor that you trust and that understands your new position. Reach out, make those connections, find somebody that knows what it's like to be in your shoes, that you can close the door and call and just totally let your guard down and just ask a lot of questions. You know, something that I've been just recently, I've been spending a little bit more time digging in deeper, and I think it can be helpful as mentoring new leaders coming up is taking a deeper understanding of the four stages of learning or leadership and the impact that it has on, on this, on yourself and how that then has an impact on others. And what I mean, and I know there's a lot of different learning and leading theories, but the, the, the learning curve of, of somebody going into a new, new position. And I, I can't remember who, who penned this or who authored it, but it's, I love how they talk about you go through four stages. First is you're unconsciously incompetent. Ignorance is bliss. You're just happy to be here. They picked you to be this. And you're, you're in this level of kind of this euphoria of this honeymoon period. And then you quickly become consciously incompetent. Oh, gosh, now I know what I don't know. And, and I got to learn this. And, and it really, during those time periods, there's a lot of impact on self. If you're, you have this level of confidence and all of a sudden you have this level of like, I don't know what I don't, now I know what I don't know. And it could be a pretty, it, it could be a pretty rough spot. And, and one is to own that period. Like, look, I'm, I'm still learning, I'm new here, but I wanna figure this out, help me figure this out. But to be transparent as, as possible, to, to let them know, but to be prepared going into a new position, you're gonna hit that phase and you're gonna hit it pretty quickly. And then the third, third phase is, is uh, consciously competent. Okay, if I really think about this and I, I really think about what I need to do, I, I learned this from last semester, I'm gonna be okay. And then finally get to the phase of where you all wanna be, where we all wanna be is unconsciously competent that we, we really know the ins and out, we can see things before they happen. But the, we learn the most in those in those middle two phases of that that consciously incompetent, that consciously competent, because we really have to think and learn and develop. And during that time is we're usually periods where we're more insecure, we're more we're um, we're more vulnerable, and, and that's okay. But I, I think for a new leader, somebody that was that was maybe really gifted or talented in another area, sometimes that, sometimes when they step into those two phases, it can really shake him or her. And they can, they can lose a lot of the momentum that's moving forward. So kind of going in with it, eyes wide open of, here's what you're going to learn. The best way to work through this is to, is to identify it, be, be transparent with it, realize what's in your sphere. You don't want to come across as so insecure, but you also want to be authentic and, and transparent. Um, and then the final, the final piece that I always try to recommend, and this, this may sound a little bit unique is, but try to never be dependent on your position, especially as you work into 
upper leadership roles, because it's possible that your integrity could be tested. And if you're, if you become absolutely dependent on that role, you should always, in my opinion, you should always be coming to a, to a work and you're putting so much time and effort into something that you really love and enjoy. And as much as possible is try to never be dependent on that position, but more so is so, so in the event that you're, integrity is ever challenged or that you can, that you have an opportunity to go elsewhere that you, you know, particularly with some particularly with sometimes even that financial jump going from into administration. Initially, you'll see somebody go buy a new car or a new house or something. It's just like, just try to try to live below your means and, and try never to be dependent. And when you do, I, I like, I find that people that are in those roles that are there because they want to be instead of being they're, they're the happiest at work. They're the most productive at work. They're the most, you're going to get the most authentic information from those, uh, from those colleagues too. And it just really helps, helps the organizational move forward. Excellent suggestions. Excellent suggestions. Um, how has your leadership style evolved over all these years then? I, I, I made a lot of mistakes and I think I, I learned from mistakes. I, I, I think I've always been relatively collaborative. I, I think that foundation was built Again, in Pittsburgh at a three-bedroom house, as you have to figure it out together. Um, but I, I think the experiences, the takeaways from from the from the various roles, and particularly the mistakes, I, I think they've they've helped me become a better systems thinker. Um, you know, I, I I think I have a stronger focus on communication or trying to fill in the gaps uh, a little bit more because realizing that. You know, everyone, everyone seeks meaning. We're unique that everyone is, if it's human nature to seek meaning about what's happening. And sometimes with, within leadership roles, you, you're the only one that may have that information. And if you don't share the information, your team members are going to seek meaning from whatever information they have. So really trying to, to focus on authentic communication, being as transparent as possible and um, pulling in. The, I, I think also, I think I've gotten better at trying to find a root cause instead of just trying to fix every problem and trying to chase every problem and coming in, but really trying to, to do a little deeper analysis of, of trying to figure out, well, what is, what is the, what is the root cause of the, of the, um, of the outcome that's, that's not wanted. Can you share with the listeners the type of industry partnerships Penn College currently has and how they work? And uh, what about future partnerships? Anything you're considering right now? Great idea. All right. Industry drives, industry drives our, um, a lot of our choices on campus. Again, our, our number one goal is to put our students in the most competitive position as possible for, um, and to be able to advance in their career. And in order for us to do that, we have to have high quality relationships with industry. You know, first is we talked about um, the amount of the wide variety of programs that we have. And every one of our programs has an industry advisory board. Um, so they will, they will meet with faculty uh, at least once a year, review curriculum, review outcomes of the programs to give insight to from industry about what is changing or what, what the college should consider uh, modifying within the curriculum to, to prepare for the next stage. And the, 
that has become such an important process to have those connections within the program. And it, it becomes important on many, on many, um, on many stages, because it's, if we have a strong industry advisory board providing insight the, and, it, and have direct insight on changing curriculum or modifying curriculum, they're also building connection with our students and providing opportunities for our students to, to advance. Um, we, we have a, a division of college relations, which, which puts on uh, job fairs every year. They work closely also with industry partners of looking at um, a variety of different industry partners and how they can help advance different programs with, with from equipment to labs to, to spacing to make sure that our students are working with the most up-to-date up materials and equipment throughout. So our, our college relations will work with institute, they have a division of institutional advancement. And then they also put on two comprehensive job fairs a year, which, which um, they always have more positions to fill than what we have graduates coming out that it's exclusive for Penn College. We also, within the college, we have a, a workforce development branch um, that works directly with industry to help industry adapt to changing, whether it's disruptions in industry or advancing skills as technologies change. And so we'll work with industry partners uh, from around the state to provide that level of training throughout. So, um, so again, it's, we're always collecting feedback from industry on the micro level from each program, on the macro level from, from the college, uh, particularly around those areas within our three schools. And, and it's, it's fortunate that our, our systems are able to adapt to, to collect the information and make changes as, as needed. Is industry asking for anything right now that, um, that, the, that the college doesn't offer? Is, is something new on the horizon for industry in your area that they're, they're asking colleges maybe to step up to offer? There are, I think there's evolutions within, within programs, um, within uh, particularly like electronics, robotics, mechatronics, um, different levels of manufacturing, uh, coming in, but we're, I mean, we're positioned to adapt to those, to those areas. Um, you know, there's been a lot on, this has emerged recently on even logistics of logistical planning within, um, within operations. Um, a lot of it focuses on trying to produce more, you know, it's, it's nice that we, we, uh, we have one great challenge is that industry needs more of our graduates that, you know, there's, there's a significant nursing shortage. There's a, there's a shortages in, in, in manufacturing and transportation. And uh, well, with, within all of our, within all of our fields across the board, there's, there's high employment opportunity. Um, you know, it's, I, I think we, we got to continually advance with one thing that the pandemic has taught us is, you know, particularly cyber, cybersecurity and what's, what's evolving within those areas. It's, I don't think it's ever going to get stagnant in those, in those realms. How do we, um, uh, how will, how do we use more automation or how do we use more artificial intelligence to, to help guide and, and lead? And, and you look even from like our welding and what, and what are, what are welding, uh, and fabrication engineers are doing with, um, uh, the amount within within robots and yeah. and so forth. So it's it's really is I think evolving the programs 
to come in? Yeah, that, that makes sense. So, so it's mostly more, instead of asking for development, they're asking for expansion or revision right. and things. Like sure. That. And that's even like, like polymers, uh, plastics and polymers. Um, it's the third leading industry and there's, there's so few programs that are out and you look at even within the PPEs and when you look at even within the medical field and the, in the amount of, of need within the, the, the plastics and, and the sustainability aspect of plastics is it's such a, a fast growing field and how do we, how do we adapt to those areas too? Well, this might be an add on to the same question, but then how do you see colleges changing over the next five years to meet the needs of workforce development and industry? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think it's one that uh, I think more of more and more we need to get our, our kind of our, our, our heads wrapped around that challenge. Um, I think we're going to see more and more stackable credentials from from various experience that if I'm, if I'm working in industry and if, I, if I'm going through an apprenticeship model, how can I convert that apprenticeship experience to credits to come into a, a certificate or an associate and how do we, how do we stack, um, how do we stack them together? Um, I think there's, I think we're going to continually see more and more adults returning for that more kind of just in time development sessions to advance within their careers and, and how are we going to be able to adapt? Um, I think we'll see more kind of a, of a blended approach of particularly with the hands-on programs of if I'm a, if I'm, if I'm a returning adult that has, that's working full time and have a family, maybe I can do some of my work online and then spend time in the labs on the weekends or so forth to remote. I think there's going to be more, I think that's going to be the bigger changes that I think it's going to be more, um, multiple options to reach the same destination to come through. And I, I also think there's going to be more collaborative partnerships. I know we have a lot of great relationships with uh, community colleges to transfer into four-year degrees. And I wouldn't be surprised if those partnerships even advance further to um, perhaps even being involved in two different schools at the same time. Okay. Okay. Um how, how do you continue to learn in order to stay on top of things at Penn College? You mean beyond listening to the Academic Dean podcast? <laughs> God bless you for saying that. <laughs> Honestly, that is for for one is try to spend as much time listening to other to, to other experts in the field, making time to listen. There are there's so much information in our fingertips now that you can pull in the various podcasts, different TED talks. You just learn a, you can you can catch up on that on that level. Um, you know, it's, it, I think it goes into collaborating with faculty, you know, some a college campus, what a, what a unique opportunity to learn and develop. There's, there's hundreds of, there's hundreds of experts who, who are in the same footprint, the same footprint that we're in right now. And to be able to really make time to learn from them, to see how it's working throughout, to be able to collaborate with, uh, with with our faculty staff and other leaders um you know I've, I've been i've also personally i've found a lot of value in um kind of leadership series projects i um currently completing a, a leadership academy through uh through a work wisdom group to just again to to help evolve our our leadership within academic affairs to go through a, around just kind of essential functions of strategic leadership, collaboration, emotional intelligence, working through. And last year I had a had a really unique opportunity to work um, 
they call it uh, through our Chamber of Commerce, the Emerson Project, where was able to, uh, it was a year long process, which the timing I think was ideal, particularly with the pandemic was to work with other, uh, just various CEOs from different businesses and organizations to again, look at, uh, at system-based leadership or, or, or larger scale institutional leadership. And I enjoy reading. I mean, you know, I try to try to read a little bit before going to bed and trying to trying to maximize those opportunities and whenever possible to engage in professional development sessions that would that may be available through different leadership groups. Last question. Any surprises over the past six months that actually ended up on a positive note? Yeah, I, I think there was a lot of takeaways and I'd maybe even stretch out to maybe 13 months because it's been, uh, I know in, in okay. Pennsylvania, we got the stay at home order and in, uh, in March of 2020 and, you know, we worked or so we, we've been in person all, all year this year. They, our students came back in the fall. We've been in person the, the entire year. And, you know, I guess the first, when we, when the pandemic first hit, nobody really knew what was, was coming. It was one of my, my proudest moments of watching how our faculty and how our staff responded to the students and community. I mean, when we, we had, we had about a, we guess about a week's notice. We knew something was coming that we were likely going to have to close. The first part was just watching our IT department is just working feverishly with faculty to think of ideas of if we have to go remote, how can we make this work? So they were coming in over their spring break, going through professional developments. And we were just full of, like every session that we were offered was was completely filled of, of faculty trying to just like, oh gosh, if we have to go remote, what are we going to do? But even more so than, than there, it, that was based on students' needs. Uh, there was a great outreach to our community. Um, a lot of our IT, or some of our IT faculty were going out to local businesses to help them get set up on like online ordering and so forth, taking students that were local to help get them situated and to help build in, in the community outreach. We had a lot of our nursing and health sciences immediately volunteering in the hospitals. Um, our, we had a, one of our leaders, one of our assistant deans, Dr. Meyer, she, she created a, a large comprehensive collection of, we sent truckloads of PPE to nursing homes. Um, just in hindsight, we probably shouldn't have given away over PPE thinking this is gonna be worth a month, but, but no, we would have done it again though too, because it's, mm -hmm. they, they were in dire need and it, it was really hard to come by, especially in central Pennsylvania. Um, you know, it, so, and then just the, like we had a construction faculty when we shut down, like, how do you teach construction? Well, what he did was he rented a big truck. He filled it up with supplies and did a 500 mile lap around the state of Pennsylvania, meeting his students wow. to drop off materials so that he could then run zoom labs for the remainder of the semester. Impressive. It's pretty impressive just yeah. across. We had our, one of our engineering faculty was making 3D, um, through his 3D printing, making uh, different face shields and for the hospitals, for um, and nursing homes. Uh, also at the time when the, when there was a high fear of ventilation shortages that he was making ventilator splitters that one ventilator could take care of two people coming through. And just trying to deploy technology, most of our students did, not, a lot of our students did not have laptops. So we collected all the laptops around campus and we were driving laptops, all of us. I was driving laptops, everybody was driving, like to try to meet up with families and so forth to get, to at least get that connectivity. And then um, just got really creative in that process. And 
from, and then our faculty would deliver from Williamsport, it, but um, they get really creative in their ways of even just being able to interact with their students throughout of, of the labs. And then over the summer, we were able to, um, to bring our students back in for refinement labs that they, they got through their courses. Most of them got through the courses. Um, a couple of them had to come back in the fall early to, to finish up, but then we had a refinement lab for everybody to, to come back in. So we, it was just a great team effort. I know that wasn't necessarily your question. Your question was some of the takeaways though. You know, it, it had us look at everything. It forced us to look at everything. And some of the key takeaways, um, one is I think we're a, lot, we're a lot more adaptable than what we give ourselves credit for. Um, it taught us to better maximize the tools at our fingertips. You know, I don't, I don't think many of us on campus would be able to do what you and I were doing 13 months ago, talking across the country, having a, a, a com an interactive conversation uh, throughout in a, in a streamlined manner. So we, it, it, got a, it taught us to better maximize the tools at our fingertips. Um, it forced us to evaluate some longstanding practices that probably should have been expired a long time ago with various sign-off forms from students and the, the uh, lengthy paper trail to go to 11 different locations before they could change a class or things of that nature. So it helped us kind of, it gave us a reason to, to change a lot of the protocols and just some of the basic operations to, to be more, um, I think it, it was a win for for students and and faculty. It's um, I think it's opened our eyes for for opportunity for blended for um, for more blended based coursework. Of you know many of our again we offer we're always going to be hands on institution like that's that's our trademark and the majority of our students choose us because we're hands on. And I think it's opened up opportunities that some of the some of the theory base and some of the concepts within some of the labs could possibly be taught online or remotely for those that maybe can't spend 30 hours a week on campus, but if they have other life responsibilities. So I think it will, I think that it provides an opportunity for us to meet the demands, uh, the, the demands and opportunities within the working adults. So, but those are, I think some of the key takeaways. Oh, that's good. Well, Mike, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. I really enjoyed our conversation. Oh, I, thank you, Dave. I really appreciate, appreciated the invitation to talk with you and, and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Well, that ends today's show. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for listening to today's episode and make sure to visit our website at academicdean.com for additional information. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.